0: Father, our heart's desire right now is just to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, there have been many things that that have occupied our attention. There have been many things that have uh, pulled our glance all throughout the week. But today, we pray that you would cause us to be riveted upon Jesus and his word. We give you permission through the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth today. As we consider, even more so, how it is we can possibly receive the promise of the Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would teach us, that you would take whatever scriptures, whatever words are shared from this stage in this room. Lord, please be lifted up. May this not just be the reading of ink on paper, but the the very living Word of God to our hearts. This is our desire in Jesus' name, let the families say, amen. 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 So I should probably make mention that maybe some of you are wondering um, where this extra light is coming from or where, why it's here. Uh, I didn't personally request for a heating lamp, although it's very nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, coming out of the water, it's, yeah, it's nice. But uh, it, the request was that some have had difficulty seeing exactly what's taking place here on stage, so this is uh, one possible fix Um, that that this would kind of shed more light on the things that are taking place. And uh, just, I guess this is for those with uh, with maybe uh, some challenges in that regard. So we just want to be amenable to that. Anyway, so we're getting into the Word today. The message is entitled, Receiving the Promise of the Spirit. Now, I can very well see the time, and I know you can too. And so we're going to do our best to be efficient and focused in our study. Can we do that together? All right, so take a Bible, maybe some notes, you might want to write some things down. But we're going to two verses, one of which is probably very familiar, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and also Acts chapter 8, verse 20. Okay, so we're finding Romans chapter 6 and Acts chapter 8. Use a pencil, use a thumb, use a pinky, whatever it is to find your spot. We're going to read Romans chapter 6 first. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And then we're also going to go to that story in Acts chapter 8. Romans chapter 6, Acts chapter 8. When you have found both, you can say amen. Amen. Oh, Working on it? All right. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 6, Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read the very last verse of Romans chapter 6. You probably already know this by heart. Paul is writing to the Romans and he says this, For the wages of sin is death, but, amen, all right, but the what? The gift of God is eternal life. This is one of the most foundational scriptures. It just very plainly points out the bad news that the wages of sin, all of us have earned death. We've earned it. That's our wages. But the gift of God is eternal life. Notice that it doesn't say the wages of God. It says the gift of God, which means this is a gift that you and I cannot earn. This is a gift that you and I do not ever deserve. But this is a gift that we can receive. Okay, we follow this, yes or no? And this gift is eternal life. Okay, so now turn with me to a story in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, probably one of the most critical junctures in the story of the Christian church. In Acts chapters 1 through 6, you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is being proclaimed, but do you happen to know where that gospel is being proclaimed? Primarily in Acts chapters 1 through 6? In Jerusalem. That's right, in Jerusalem the capital of the nation of Israel. And in, you remember that the be- at the beginning of Acts, Jesus commissioned them that you shall be witnesses unto me in, unto Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Ooh. Okay, and su- unto Samaria and all the ends of the earth. So here in Acts chapter 8, there's a persecution that arises in Jerusalem, and the church was almost experiencing a tendency to just say, hey, everything's so great here in Jerusalem, but persecution arose, and guess what happens to the church? It scatters. It scatters. Everyone but the apostles scatters, and in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, excuse me, beginning in verse 1, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death, that is, the death of Stephen, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And in verse 4, notice with me, verse 4, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, therefore, those who were scattered, which is everyone but the apostles, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. (laughs) Amen. They were overcoming ethnic barriers. They were overcoming barriers of prejudice, etc., etc. And as you see this, there's one individual. His name is Philip. He goes to the towns of Samaria. And the Samaritans put their trust in Jesus. The disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem, however, you can kind of conjecture, you can kind of be suspicious about what it was that was taking place in their hearts. Maybe there is some hesitation, maybe there is some reservation. And in fact, the, the the apostles Peter and John, they go to Samaria and they're put in a position where they have to pray for the Samaritans to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the last time John, a son of thunder, had an encounter with the Samaritans? Do you remember the last time? The the apostles were being sent out. There was a Samaritan town that didn't want Jesus to come their way because he was headed towards Jerusalem. And John says, Jesus, should we pray for them? Should we pray that fire should consume them? John, son of thunder, has to go now pray that a different kind of fire descend on these believers in Samaria. All right. So one of these individuals in verse 13 in verse 13 the Bible says, "Then Simon himself." Now Simon was a sorcerer in this town. It says Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now notice in verse 18, it says, "When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them what?" Maybe this is something that Simon was used to. He was a sorcerer, after all. This was his livelihood. This was something from his past that he kind of understood. There's a manipulation of powers, and then you can bargain with that. Apparently, even though Simon had believed, he hadn't left some things behind. And in verse 20, excuse me, in verse 19, the Bible says, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the what? Huh? That the gift of God could be purchased with money. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, we are told that the gift of God is eternal life, right? And the gift of God is in contrast to wages. It's in contrast to anything we earn. It's in contrast to anything that we merit. Here in Acts chapter 8, the gift of God is who, precisely? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The gift of God in this context is the Holy Spirit himself. And we have to recognize, Peter says to Simon, look, 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 the gift of God is not something that can be purchased. It's not a product on the shelf. It's not a commodity. It's a person who is known as the comforter. And it's not something to buy or sell. He is someone to receive. That's why I think it's very particular that when Jesus instructs the disciples, he says, Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Gifts and promises are things we do not earn, they're things that we receive. Do you follow me today? Yes or no? Yeah? Now, the thing is that just like every other promise in Scripture, promises come with conditions. Do you understand that? So even though, even though there are conditions, it doesn't necessarily mean I deserve it now, right? This is still a gift. This is still a gift. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Christ in my heart, that's not something I earn, but it is something I can make myself ready to receive. And so that's what we're talking about today, receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit if there are things where I can be, where I can put my heart in a condition that it is ready to receive not just a portion of God's outpouring, but the full measure of God's outpouring, that's where I want to be. Are we in agreement today? Yes or no? Amen. Amen. Now, I had initially assigned uh, for this message five conditions. Obviously, you know, there are, there's an exhaustive list maybe somewhere. I haven't found it, but th- from my study, I'm sure we could identify this, that, this, that, but today I've narrowed it down to five, and I'm wondering if we need to portion it out in part one and part two, and let's just do three today. Can we do that? <laughs> if we get to number three, and you're saying, give me more, then, then we'll go for it, but I want to be, be respectful of that. So, let's do this. We're going to go through three readiness factors to receive the Holy Spirit, okay? So if you have notes, you can start with number one. Readiness factor number one is repentance. Repentance. And we're going to go, stay in the book of Acts, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. What is repentance all about? And what is the connection to receiving the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2, verse 36 when you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. All right, again, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says, no, you remember who is speaking. Does anybody remember who is speaking at this point in the book of Acts chapter 2? Peter, right. He's preaching a sermon. He's preaching a sermon on the day of Pentecost. There are thousands who are hearing the gospel, hearing the good news of God, in, precisely in their language. And it says in verse 36, Peter gets straight to the point, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. In other words, the man that just more than a month ago you crucified and thought was a criminal, God has actually appointed him to be the chosen one, the one to sit on the throne in heaven. In verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you just might. (laughs) What does your Bible say? you will, you shall, you will, it's a certainty, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter makes it very clear to this people who have come to recognize that Jesus, the one they just crucified, is actually the Son of God. They've recognized this, and Peter says, look, what shall you do? Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. I I suppose we should read verse 39. It says this, For the promise, again, For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This is powerful. Repentance is numero uno, okay? Readiness factor number one. This this is really the basis for all the other conditions. Without this, all the other conditions, though they're fulfilled, it, it would really mean nothing. Repentance. So what is repentance? It's not something we use in everyday vernacular, but what is it? Is it just to change our minds? Is it just to change, you know, our thoughts about things? It's in part, yes. In part, yes. But it is not just the acknowledgement of sin that gives us repentance. Because you and I know, even when we are fully aware that something is sinful, even though you and I are fully, like we're staring it in the face, You and I, at times, can feel no remorse for that sin. Do you you resonate with with, um, what I'm talking about? So it's not just the knowledge of sin. It's actually the knowledge of what sin does. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, there's a phrase. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Have you heard that before? Romans chapter 2, verse 4, you can write that down. Uh, Some versions say it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. In other words, it's when we see that sin crucifies the Savior. That's what causes you and I to look at sin with remorse. To look at sin with a decided and a radical desire to turn away from it. And so as one author said, Repentance is not just changing our mind, but a radical moral turn of the whole person from sin and to God. It's a deep and convicted turning away from it, a radical departure. And it comes not just as we know what sin is, but as we know what it did to our Savior. By the way, this is in part why it is so crucial that Calvary comes before Pentecost. This is why it is so crucial for us to actually sit at the foot of the cross every single day to allow the goodness of God to fill up the horizon of our hearts and minds that we would be overwhelmed and led to repentance. So Calvary, yes, Calvary does come before Pentecost because it's the repentant heart that asks Jesus to take the throne of the heart. It's the repentant heart that asks Jesus to take the throne of the heart. So as we go to the foot of the cross each day, as we sing that song, or as we read that scripture, as we look on the grace of Jesus on the cross, the Spirit is not far behind. All right. so that's readiness factor number one, is repentance. Readiness factor number two, you ready? Readiness factor number two, faith. Faith. Maybe this is too elementary for us. repentance, faith, you're talking about basics, yeah, because the Holy Spirit is essential, foundational to our Christian experience. So readiness factor number one is repentance. Readiness factor number two is faith. What do we mean by this? I want us to go to two verses in the New Testament. Galatians chapter three. Let's go there. So if you're in the book of Acts, go to the right. Keep turning to the right. You'll pass Romans, then first and second Corinthians, and then Galatians. Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter 3 and we're also going to look up Ephesians chapter 1 which is just a couple pages over. All right so Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 to 14 if you're taking notes and then Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Galatians chapter 3 when you're there say amen. Amen. All right Galatians chapter 3. I'm beginning in verse 13. Remember Paul here is writing to this church in Galatia. They're trying to understand, you know, how, you know, how do works fit into things? Uh, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to put trust in Jesus, but, but how does this all work? And in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, notice, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Can you praise the Lord Jesus that he redeemed us from the curse today? And in verse 14, he tells us what the end of that was, what the goal of that redemption was. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through what? Through faith. So again, this promise of the Spirit isn't through some work that I do, but it's as I trust that Jesus is my Savior. Turn a few pages over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. When you've found it, go ahead and say amen. Okay. We've got to understand something, that that even with Peter's sermon, there is a growing expectation in the New Testament that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, really isn't some separate event from faith in Jesus, but it really is a concurrent event. That is, when I put faith in Jesus, he actually gives me his presence. When I put faith in Jesus, it's not that I have to wait years and decades later to receive an outpouring. No, no, no. The promise, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you shall, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's very interesting that in the New Testament you find this, uh, this synonymous nature almost. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it's one of those examples. The Bible says, In Him, that is in Jesus, In Jesus you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with who? The Holy Spirit of promise. There it is. Paul is talking again. Look, having believed, Having trusted, the Holy Spirit's presence is now in your life. In fact, he uses this analogy of being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So, if we're talking about faith, if we're talking about believing, what does this really mean as it relates to a condition, being ready to receive the Holy Spirit? Do you know what faith is? If I were to ask you, what is faith, what is belief, what would you say? Okay, okay. Quotation from Hebrews chapter 11, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, if I were five years old and I asked you what is faith, what would you say then? Believing that God will do what he says he'll do. If Jenna were to ask me, Daddy, what is faith? What does it mean to believe? I might ask her to stand on this step, or maybe I'll ask her to stand on this ledge, and I'll say, Jenna, I'll catch you. Do you believe me? And when she falls back, she'll understand that faith is believing that God will do exactly what he said he'll do. <laughs> Amen? And then here's the reality. There is a technical sense that we find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. A technical, specific sense of what it means to believe. It means to believe that Jesus is our Savior. Amen? It means to believe that Jesus is the only one who can redeem and save from sin. That's the technical sense. But if we're talking about a general, a broad sense of what it means to believe, it's not just intellectual understanding. Did you get this? Check. Did you get that? Check. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. When we talk about faith, when we talk about belief, maybe a better word is trust. Maybe a better word is leaning and relying. I want you to go to another passage in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, Paul is actually illustrating what faith really means. Romans chapter 4, he uses this individual that many of us call the father of faith. (laughs) His name was Abraham. Romans chapter 4, when you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay. Romans chapter 4, And I want to take a look at verse, verse 19. Verse 19 through 21, if you're there, if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. What is faith, and how does that make us ready to receive the Spirit? Romans chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says, And, not being weak in faith, he, speaking of Abraham, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. (laughs) You remember the story of Abraham? He's an older guy, a little more mature, seasoned, all right? (laughs) And God gives him a promise, you are going to have an heir, you are going to have a son, and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Paul is saying that Abraham didn't just like you know, he didn't just, he didn't just, what are you talking about? My body is dead. No, that's not, he didn't focus on his own weaknesses, nor his wife's. And in verse 20, the Bible says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to, Also to perform. Friends, do you know what faith is today? Maybe I should ask another question. How strong is your faith today? You know God has promised something. But are you fully convinced that what he's promised, he's actually able to perform? Maybe some of us are going through cloudy spells, dry spells valleys of darkness where it seems like the promises of God are an echo of a far away land. Friend, if that's you, exercise your faith all the more and the Spirit of God is not far behind. The reality is that faith and trust leaning on His Word is something that opens up the door to the Holy Spirit. True faith is not always going to be accompanied by signs. True faith is not always going to be accompanied by something ecstatic and radical. True faith is sometimes very quiet, or maybe sometimes very still and small. But when we believe, God's Holy Spirit has full access to our hearts. So how do we cultivate that? Maybe some of us have, on the faith meter, we're, we're falling kind of low, almost on empty. How do we cultivate that? There's a verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Write this one down. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It tells us how faith comes. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says, Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Should I tune in to a certain radio station? <laughs> no. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Maybe some of you are opening to it right now. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God. You want more faith? Fill your mind with the promises of God. Fill your mind with those promises rather than your doubts. Fill your mind with those promises and start leaning on those promises. Put your full weight in them. And whenever we choose to lean on God's promise to save, to provide, to heal, to correct, to counsel, to protect. Whenever we choose to trust, the Holy Spirit is a promise we can receive. So readiness factor number one is repentance. Readiness factor number two is faith. Readiness factor number three goes hand in hand with faith, and it's obedience. Obedience. Go ahead and write that one down. Readiness factor number three, simple obedience. Go with me to Acts chapter five. Acts chapter 5, and if you're writing this down, it's Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Acts chapter 5, again, the experience of, of the apostles, is something we can continually learn from. And in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are, are actually imprisoned, or, or they're being, uh, I guess, kind of examined before the tribune. And, and Peter and John are having to give answer for themselves, in Acts chapter 5, when you're there, say amen. Okay. Acts chapter 5, I'll start in verse 28. They're standing before this council, and the high priest, who has already told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, the high priest asks them this very pointed question in verse 28, says, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us kind of foolish, right? Because <laughs> remember at the cross, maybe you've been reading the story this week. At the cross, they said his blood be on us and our children. And now they're trying to to shake that off. And in verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to what? Obey God rather than men. Peter wasn't looking for an applause from humanity. Peter was looking to be pleasing to God. We ought to be obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. By the way, repentance is something we are given as well. And in verse 32, notice. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to those who make profession of it. (laughs) Whom God has given to those who give lip service to Jesus. No, no, no. Whom God has given to those who obey him. If faith and genuine trust in Jesus is a readiness factor, then surely genuine faith generates genuine obedience then obedience ought to be a factor as well. And that's exactly what Peter is hitting on. Look, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit is given to those who practically demonstrate that their trust is in Jesus. And again, in this context, obedience to God is contrasted with obedience to man. Obedience to God is contrasted with prioritizing or trying to please other men. So obedience here is saying, look, whatever God wants, that's what I want, no matter who says what. And so when we prioritize pleasing God rather than men, when that priority actually plays itself out in a practical demonstration, when the rubber meets the road in daily behavior and in daily decisions, friends, we are opening ourselves up to the Spirit's infilling. When you make that a priority to say, yeah, I ought to obey God rather than men, your life is wide open to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I should probably note this. Remember, there's that text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, 19 and 20. Uh, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That you are not your own. You've been purchased by God. Therefore, glorify God in your body, right? And so really, uh, when it comes down to it, this pr- obedience should not neglect taking care of our body temple as well. Do <laughs> you understand where I'm headed with that? Yeah? Because so, oftentimes we think of obedience in terms of the specific counsel and the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I've got this, I haven't done this, I have this, I haven't done that. But when it comes to every other aspect of our lives, friends, obedience and faith in Jesus is demonstrated through every priority, through every aspect of how we live or don't live for Jesus. And so, how how do how are we how are we to cultivate more obedience in our lives? How is it that that we can how is it that we can we can strengthen obedience? Well, let me just ask a very common sense question, and the common sense question is this: You've heard of this, like when Jesus talks about um, not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer also, right? In other words, being obedient. How can we obedient, how can we do the word if we haven't taken time to actually hear the word, right? So here's that common sense question. You want to strengthen your obedience to God? Take more time to listen to his counsel. Be more intentional to not just hear what you would like to hear, but hear all the counsel of God. Maybe he has given some instruction to you. Maybe he has already opened your heart and mind to some things that, that need to be prioritized differently. And maybe somewhere along the line, you've said, you know, I'd rather not. (laughs) I'd rather be pleasing to man. I'd rather please myself. I'd rather prioritize my own desires rather than the simple instruction of Jesus. And so when it comes down to it, take time to hear the word of God so that you actually can do the word of God. So those are readiness factors numbers one, two, and three. Four and five will stay for next week. Is that a good idea? Yeah, Yeah. all right. But here it is. Numbers one through three. Repentance, faith, obedience. When you think about those things, which of those conditions, which of those conditions is lacking in your life? Which of those conditions has been been, uh, uh, limping along while the others have been uh, running on all cylinders. I want us just to think for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to really impress and instruct. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe I actually haven't, you know, seen all that is to be sorrowful over sin. Maybe I haven't come to a point of seeing all that Jesus has done and seeing that sin really is something to hate, not just something to play with and say, I'll come back later. I'll get, get as close as I possibly can without getting... Burn. No, 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 no. Maybe repentance is something we need. And if that's you, spend more time fixing your eyes on the cross. Spend more time going to Calvary to see all that sin costs. Maybe for you, it's faith. You're feeling like your faith meter is just running on fumes. Take time to fill your mind with the promises of God this week. Make it a seven-day challenge. I'm going to take a promise a day and hang on to it all throughout the day. Or maybe it's obedience. There are specific things that you know are incompatible with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you want to obey, but where is that power going to come from? Is it going to come from you saying, Oh, I got this. (coughs) No. <laughs> no, no, no. It's going to come as you say, Jesus, I need you to live out your obedience in me. That's going to come. That's, that's what we call righteousness by faith. And so take time. Take time to, to look on the life of Jesus. Take time to, to see how he handled situations. Take time to read the word this week. So I'm giving you three different options here. I know that maybe in the last few weeks we've tried to, tried to take one single application here, but I realize that that with this kind of message, the conditions are across the spectrum. And for you, it may be something completely different than someone else. But you know exactly what it is. Maybe you need to take more time at the cross. Maybe you need to take a promise all throughout the week or a promise a day for the seven days. Or maybe you just need to carve out a specific time of the day and a length of time saying, I'm going to fill my mind with the counsel of God so I know that when I've heard the word, I can do the word too. Okay? And so, just as we leave, I'm just curious, you know, you've been thinking about it, one of those three readiness factors. And just by the raising of hands, can you show that, yes, I want to respond and seek one of these conditions in the next seven days, just by the showing of hands, either repentance, faith, or obedience. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, these are things that are are somewhat basic. But Lord, they're sometimes often neglected. And Father, I just want to lift up uh, my own heart to you and, and the hearts of each one of us today. We know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is not something we deserve or earn. But he has been promised to us. And we just want to make ourselves as available as possible. We want to ready ourselves to receive more of your presence in our lives. So God, I know that even now your spirit is convicting our hearts and instructing us. And so if there are specific things, God, I just pray that in the next seven days we would find practical application of these things. Please, God, for those of us who need deeper repentance, I pray that you would take us there. For those of us who need stronger faith, I pray that you would increase it. For those that lack and look for and hunger and thirst for righteousness, I pray that you would fill us. And so God, this is our desire. Make us repentant. Make us faithful. Make us obedient. And as we find that you're doing this in our lives, we thank you in advance. Before we've seen any results, before we've seen any tangible tokens or evidences, God, we thank you that you are faithful to fulfill the promise of the Spirit. And so we commit these things to you in Jesus' saving name. We all said, amen. Amen. Amen.